greedy greed. Does anyone that has been at Cana for a while remember greedy greed? Anybody? Chicago. Chicago. I remember. That a girl. Sarah remembers. I introduced you to Cabrini Green a long time ago, and I want to talk about it again this morning. Cabrini Green is, was, was one of the most notorious public housing developments in all of America. Sort of representative of, do we have one that goes down more? Is there one that goes down back there? Brian, Jared? It's just too high for me, I'm so short. Anyway, while they're working on this, it was two square miles of cinder block high rises near downtown Chicago. In the late 80s and early 90s, police estimated that 70% of the crime went unreported in two square miles. Liquor stores outnumbered banks 15 to zero. And the annual murder rate was more than Vermont's, North Dakota's, and Montana's combined. For those who lived in Cabrini Green, it was literally living in hell. This is Bob Muzikowski. Bob was born in an upscale town in New Jersey. He went to Columbia University. He got two, not one, two Ivy degrees. But then he fell into drugs and alcohol addiction. He was in jail when a friend bailed him out and introduced him to Jesus Christ. In 1988, Bob and his wife Tina moved to Chicago, mostly to get away from their ghosts of the past, and they wanted to start a new life sober and as Christians. Bob opened an insurance business, and every day on his, day to, on his drive into work, he went by Cabrini Green. One day, he saw a man teaching some boys how to play baseball in an overgrown field there. Bob stopped, the two men talked, and that talk led to a collaboration that brought baseball to the inner city kids living in the hell of this housing complex. Bob said, while I had no illusions that I would change the world, I had no doubt that God wanted me to play baseball with the kids of Cabrini Green. They were, after all, my neighbors. <laughs> so last week we started exploring chapter 5 of Galatians and talked in depth about this statement of Paul's that captures the very essence of Christianity. So if you're visiting today, we're in, we're in the middle of a Galatians series and what we do is we look at Galatians and then we go out into other parts of scripture and other parts of life and we sort of see what the theory behind Paul's writings looked like in real life. So the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. St. Paul said that, not me. The only thing that counts. This is a statement we find throughout Paul's writings, sometimes almost verbatim, as we saw last week, and throughout St. John's writings. And ultimately, both of them write these things because they had a thorough and careful understanding of the life of Christ. St. John knew him. St. Paul knew him through his friends that knew him. And no doubt, they were familiar with the Gospels that were being written at the time. And in fact... It was Jesus Christ himself who was clear that the entire biblical narrative can be framed this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Loving others is not some theological principle that we need to commit to memory so we can pass the Christian test. It is instead a truth that will govern our lives 
if we are in the faith. It is a truth that will govern our lives if we are in the faith, at least according to St. Paul and St. John and God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So what I want to do today is explore what this central truth looks like in real life, and that's why I chose Bob's story. They were, after all, my neighbors. I love that. See, that's faith. Faith isn't getting an A on the test. This is what I love about this statement. They were, he read the Bible. It says, love your neighbors. He was like, oh, okay. All right, then I guess I have to trust that that's what God wants me to do, and then he did it. See, so it just starts with that. It's just this simple, this mystery at the end is really this simple thing, which is, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do? Oh, okay. And not use all our theology to come up with loopholes against it, like we always do. In your life, I'm way off my notes. I've got to get back on it, but... In your life, how many times have you ever read or heard a Christian teacher bring up Matthew chapter 5 about turning the other cheek and listen to that pastor, that Christian, loophole it right out? At least I, I have, many times. I've heard Christian teachers tell us why that's not, really what, that's not really what Jesus means. Don't ever turn your cheek. That's not what Jesus could possibly mean. See? So, but authentic faith just reads the Bible and says, oh, we're supposed to love our neighbors. After all, they were my neighbors. So I want to make two quick side notes before we jump in to exploring this. All right? First, this is very important. This love is not an emotion. Okay? It's not an emotion. This is an action. And it is not love as the world talks of love. I'm sorry. And I think that might be one of the grand misunderstandings of love in the Bible, why a lot of Christians go away from love. Oh, love is like somehow beneath God. How can love be beneath God? Yes, there is plenty of stuff we talk about that's love, but that, yes, that's beneath God. I'm sorry. But not real love. It's not beneath God. He defines real love. He died for even his enemies. So this is divine love, sacrificial love. This is love that acts like Jesus Christ, acted in the world, love that knows we are all the same, all of us, and everyone needs God's love through us. Everyone, they need it. They need mercy, Grace, forgiveness, assistance, help, kindness, justice, gentleness, time, relationship, etc., etc., etc. All right? And number two, this does not mean we make ourselves better lovers. And I don't want anyone to hear that today or anytime we talk about this at Cana. This is not, oh my gosh, I should do this better. I got to try harder tomorrow. That's not what this is. That's not what the mystery of the kingdom is. If you try to love like Christ in this world on your own power, it's never going to happen. Let's face it, he didn't even want to do it. He sat in the Garden of Gethsemane begging God that didn't have to happen. So if that's the reality, then we're not going to want to do this. This isn't something we can just make ourselves do. This is something that is more about surrendering our tendency to preserve ourselves and open ourselves to the mystery of God's love, working in us to transform us into people who do let his love flow through us, who can be loving enemies while most of us doesn't want to. That's the power and beauty of the hope that we have in this transformation that can come to us. So this is why I picked the parable of the mustard seed. I think it's the perfect, perfect parable for this. So here, guys, take a couple mustard seeds so you have them in your hands. Object lessons are always good, especially those of us that are on our Facebook page. This will get you off your Facebook page. And those that are falling asleep, they're so small, you have to focus to hold them into your hand. All right. So take a mustard seed because this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what he's talking about, a mustard seed. Here's what Scott McKnight writes about this parable while you're passing those around. Scott says, and by the way, that's where I got the Bob Muzikowski story from Scott McKnight. He, he did his, did his uh, 
what do you call that when you go off to seminary? He did a seminary work in Chicago, so he was familiar with Cabrini Green. For Jesus, the kingdom is about loving God and loving others. The kingdom is as common as sparrows, as earthy as backyard bushes, as routine as breakfast coffee, and as normal as getting older. The kingdom of God is the transforming presence of God in ordinary humans who live faith expressed in love. He said who live out the Jesus creed, which is loving others, but I wanted to tie it into what St. Paul was talking about. Who live faith expressed in love. See, here's the thing. We are not called to do great things. This is important. We're not called to do great things. Okay? We're not even called to be great people. We're not even called to be great people. We are called to let God in us use our ordinary selves to do, as Mother Teresa said, oh, that's not Mother Teresa. I'll just leave it here. I don't have her. She said, do ordinary things with great love. That's what we're called to do. Ordinary things with great love. That's it. Notice how ordinary that mustard seed is that's in your hands. Okay, take a look at that. Is it around yet? Not yet. We're still getting there. It's over there. Nate's got them in the back. They're coming up. Just look at how ordinary a mustard seed is. And then read the Gospels and notice how ordinary the people are in the Gospels. The people whom Jesus called to follow him, called to set up the kingdom of God in the world, unschooled fishermen. Think about that in our culture. In America, it's all about getting a degree. Jesus didn't care. He just called a bunch of fishermen. Tax collectors, which is, you know, a euphemism for really bad people. People of questionable reputation. So I think one of the obstacles we probably face in trying to live faith expressed in love is this idea that we need to be special. We need to be important. We need to be educated. We need to be well off. And we need to be the best people working on grand gestures of love. No. Jesus just needs tiny mustard seeds. Even Mother Teresa, who we often hold up as, as the grand person who loves this world, if you talk to her, she wasn't at all great. And she never set out to be Mother Teresa. She set out to feed a hungry person on the streets of Calcutta. And then there was another hungry person, another, and that's all. She just did ordinary things with great love. See, the mustard seed, though very small, will grow literally into a bush. This, this seed will grow into a bush. A bush. There's a lot bigger seeds than this that don't grow as big as a mustard tree, mustard bush. It's amazing, right? Big enough for birds to find safety in. So what I think this speaks to, and I think what Jesus is getting at, speaks to the fact that the kingdom of God grows one person at a time. One act of loving another person, who in turn loves another, who in turn loves another. And before you know it, the kingdom has come. That's it. And when you read the Gospels, that's exactly what Jesus did. There were definitely times he spoke to the multitudes. There were times he did miracles. There were times he engaged the powerful and religious leaders in conversation and debate. But mostly, he just loved people one by one. Just read through the scriptures. Breakfast with friends by a fire. On the beach even. Afternoon walks with his disciples. Embracing a sick person. A quiet talk with a lonely woman getting water from a well. Playing with children. Restocking the empty bar at a wedding. Yay. <laughs> Ordinary things. Sitting around table. 
The parable of the mustard seed teaches us that all Jesus needs for the kingdom to come is a person and the opportunity to love that person. And we live in this world, guess what? We are surrounded by people to love every day. For some of us, it might start right in our own family. Right in our own family, we might have people incredibly difficult to love. That's where it starts. And then it goes beyond that. We don't need big programs. We don't need big systems. We don't need big agendas. We don't need big marketing campaigns. We don't need big churches. We don't need big doctrines. We just need a pocket full of tiny mustard seeds and a willingness to plant them. This is all Bob Mazakowski did. So here's how his story continued. He wanted to love his neighbors, so he started to play baseball with them. By the early 1990s, some 450 kids in Cabrini Green were playing in a legitimate baseball league with uniforms and equipment that he started with the help of some others. That's just ordinary. Especially for us, that's ordinary, right? We have so many kids in, in this church, which is beautiful, and I bet 99% of them, if you want them to play baseball, you just go and sign them up. Well, guess what? Right outside these doors, there are kids and families that they just can't sign their kids up for baseball. So Bob said, well, we'll just do a baseball league. And many of the volunteer coaches that he brought in became so much more than baseball coaches to these kids. One coach tells the stories of how he started to recognize the kids were stealing baseball bats. So he looked into it a little further. They weren't stealing baseball bats. That was his initial reaction, because that's our reaction, right? They were taking baseball bats for protection as they walked home, because the safest place was on the baseball field. So what that led to was the coaches giving them rides home. Then they really got to know their stories. They really got to know. In the middle of hell, the kingdom of God was planted one tiny act of love at a time. Mikowski did not do anything great, but what he did do, he did with great love. And here's how he defined it. I was reading this old book, the Bible, and it says to love your neighbors as yourself. And that doesn't mean to move where your neighbors are easy to love. <laughs> and you know what I love? He called that just doing the Bible. I think I have that in just doing the Bible. I love that. Just doing the Bible, I think, is the perfect way to think about this whole mystery of faith that expresses itself in love. You see, here's what happened to me. And maybe this has happened to many of you. I don't know, depending on how young you were when you became a Christian. The Christian faith became nothing more to me than a system of principles and precepts and doctrines that I needed to understand and I needed to be well-versed in, and I needed to be correct about. That was a big one. You needed to be correct about this stuff. But what I discovered over the years was that for all my knowledge, for all my correct positions on doctrine and eschatology and soteriology and missiology and ecclesiology and fill-in-the-blankology, my life wasn't changing at all. One iota. One. Oh, people call me a Christian. I always got A's on the test. So I was a good Christian. And I always went to the right church. But my life wasn't changing. If being a Christian is faith as expressed in love, 
and Paul and John and even God in the flesh himself are very clear that it is, I was not even close to being a Christian. Not even close. Oh, I said the sinner's prayer. I invited Jesus into my heart, all that stuff. I wasn't close. And this is why the parable of the mustard seed is so important and so helpful for us in understanding how this mystery actually works. See, here's the thing. Now, here's the tough bit. This is where the rubber hits the road. And this is where we get always so close, and then we're like, ah, nope, you lost me. Which I think is why Jesus said narrow is the way. He wasn't being a jerk, and it wasn't because God doesn't love everyone, and God didn't die for everyone. It's just he was like, yeah, you're going to get to this grace, but you're going to hate it but it's really just the only way. So Jesus did not just talk about mustard seeds. He was one. See, he knew that unless a seed dies, a bush will never grow. That's what happens when we plant seeds into the ground. They die. That's where these other beautiful things come from. I planted a whole, like, 150 sunflowers one year, and I got one. Those 149 seeds didn't die. Well, they didn't die the right way. They got eaten or something else happened. Seeds have to die or nothing ever grows. So Jesus knew if he went to Jerusalem on that fateful Passover weekend, he was going to die. But he went anyway. That's my favorite word lately. Anyway. I think anyway might be the only word, the only adverb suitable for divine love, for true love of any kind, is anyway. There's a tester on the love that you're involved in in your life with others. Okay? If any way doesn't define it, it's okay. That could be perfectly legitimate. But it's not what they're talking about being a Christian. I just want to be clear on that. It's okay. Human relationships tend not to use the word anyway. But if you want to do divine love, it's anyway. It's anyway. He knew that he must die for the kingdom to grow, and he did, and it grew. First, it grew among his own disciples, and then as they too laid down their own lives in love of others, the kingdom grew across the whole known world, and that is how it still grows today. That's it. That's how the kingdom grows today. You don't need to go down to the corner and preach the gospel with a bullhorn. You need to go down to the corner and love the person that's sleeping on the corner without any fanfare, without anything great. We are called to be seeds of acts of love. We're called to lay aside our own self, our own wants, our own desires, and love of others. But listen, that's not a negative command. That's not what's going on. It's not a negative command. This is an invitation, a beautiful invitation, to live our true selves to find our true desires, to find who we're supposed to be. Think about it this way. The image we were made in is a God of divine love, a God who died. So if that's the image we were made in, any other way of living, it's just further breaking that image, right? And goes against that image. That's why I think we all are so broken. We're just constantly fighting against who we really want to be. I was coaching soccer this fall, and two of our main players were late. They weren't even there, and they didn't call or text anyone. The kid, Tito, you're going to love this. 
the kid finally got there, his parents dropped him off. He had forced, forced the diesel hose at the gas station into his car. Oh, and then filled his car with diesel gas. Yeah. I'm like, I was like, Nick, um, did you notice it didn't fit? He goes, yeah, I was wondering about that, but I just really, I'm like, there it is. But so my point is, you can't force a gasoline car to go with diesel. We honestly can't force ourselves to go with hate. I know it's easier. I know it's so easy to hate people that are mean to us. But it's just not how we're made. It's just broken. When we fight against loving others, we fight against our true selves. Honest. We don't need more correct doctrines. We don't need more correct systems of belief. We don't even need more correct theology. We just need authentic faith that says, oh, the whole point is to love as Jesus loved. Okay, then God, help me do this because I don't want to. And quite frankly, I can't. But if you say that's what I'm supposed to do, then I'll do it. So help me do it. That's all we need. That's it. Then we let go of our need to preserve self and start living divine love, one small act of love at a time. Now I'm going to embarrass. You know, I always pick on Tito, and I'm sure that leaves a lot of people thinking that, wow, what, what does Tito believe? <laughs> Here's the thing about Tito that a lot of people don't know. And this is why I never question Tito. I question a lot of things that come out of his mouth, but I laugh because it just comes out of his mouth. <laughs> A year ago, or more now, there was a little girl that had no family. Now, this is right around the time Tito and Joanna, and I'm sorry I'm embarrassing you. Right around the time Tito and Joanna had a brand new baby of their own, a new house, a young couple. Do you know the reasons not to help anybody in that situation? I know. When Isabel was born, do you know how much diapers cost? I thought, like, all of a sudden, like, I, I, I was like, what just happened to our money? They took that young girl in, a teenager, not just for a night, for as long as she wanted to stay with They became a legal guardian. That's a mustard seed. That's faith expressing itself in love. That's what that is. That's just doing the Bible. And here's what Bob Mosakowski said. I never had that theoretical Jesus. We need Christian neighbors who will get you a job or help you with a mortgage. I love that. Joanne and Tito just did the Bible. Cain as a community has often helped people with paying bills. I love that we do that. I hope that as individuals, we could be more like this too. Listen, this is not a way of life. I mean, this is not a system of belief. This is a way of life. This is authentic faith expressing itself in divine love. So, one of Bob's own little league players from Cabrini Green, Brian Dixon, he was shot and killed when he was only 13. <laughs> now, if you read in the paper that little 13-year-old kid from Auburn, Great Brook Valley or down in South Maine got shot and killed, what would you think? What would be your first thoughts? Maybe your first thoughts would sound a lot like the Chicago Tribune that day. Their story said they called him a tough, defiant kid, a typical victim of gang violence. There it is. 
because they didn't know anything about the kid. And every time we make a decision and judgment about someone, I can guarantee you it's because we don't know about them. See, here's the thing. Bob knew better than the papers. He knew Brian. The Brian he knew was not tough. He never once defied his coaches. In fact, Brian was always scheming to be the last one dropped off after practice so he could spend more time in the safety of Bob's car. And many times he would call Bob just to say hello, but really what he wanted was to get invited over. Bob was involved in Brian's life. He knew his story. Remember when I said a few weeks ago, if we don't know each other's stories, how can we make judgments, good or bad? Bob had taken him to a White Sox game. He had taken him swimming in Lake Michigan. He took him and his whole team camping in Iowa. And on that camping trip, one morning, Bob woke up in the tent to find Brian sleeping as close to Bob and his wife as he could get. He wasn't a tough, defiant kid. And the only thing typical about him was he was just like us that wanted to be loved. That's it. Bob and some of the other coaches paid for a proper funeral. And at the, time, at the request of Brian's parents, Bob was the one who gave the eulogy. Bob's life, Bob's life was a tiny mustard seed that has grown into a wonderful bush where many have come to find safety and love. Bob's faith was evidenced by love. And Bob's no different than any of us sitting here. No different. That is the essence of Christianity. Might we all be mustard seeds? Might we all choose authentic faith that expresses itself in love?